at Grace City Church. Um, this is Jack, this is Sienna, I'm Carrie. Um, we just want to say we're going to continue with our What We Believe series this week and we'll find out what happens when we die from Steve Braden. Um, we miss you guys and we hope we can see you all soon. Bye! 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 Bye. Well, hi everybody. My name is Steve Braden and uh, I love the church in Sydney. have many dear friends there. And I'm speaking today from my home in Sussex on the subject of what happens when we die. Mike has asked me to speak about that. I don't know if he looks as though I'm getting near that point in my life, but uh, I'm going to speak on that. I'm going to read one verse from the Bible, and I will be using many verses from the Bible as I speak on this. And I want to talk about three things by the way of introduction, and then talk about what happens to the believer, what happens to the unbeliever, and then thirdly, what difference that makes in our lives today. Firstly, then, the verse from Revelation, chapter 20 and verse 12. He said, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne of God, and books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. Three things, then, by the way of introduction to this whole theme of death. Number one is this, that death is the consequence of living in a fallen world. God spoke to Adam and Eve and said, you may freely eat of the fruit of the tree, of the garden, of any tree, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it, and the day that you do eat it, you will die. Now, they obviously didn't listen or they disobeyed and they actually died in two ways. They died spiritually and they died physically. <clears throat> they died spiritually because man was separated from God and banished from the garden. And physically they died because from that moment, seeds of decay set into the body. And anybody who's over the age of 35 knows what it is to have the seeds of decay within their body. You're, you're not as strong as you used to be in your 20s. And um, you suddenly realise that. However, in Christ, the process is reversed. Jesus said in John 5:24, Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed over from death to life. Now, when we're born again, we spiritually become alive and a new creation. But God, in his wisdom, has chosen to apply the benefits of salvation to us gradually over a period of time. And so the Bible tells us that we actually wait for the resurrection body in the new heavens and the new earth. It's something we have to wait for. And theologians call this the kingdom of God or the overlap period where we're in the kingdom of God now and the kingdom of God has come upon us, but it is not yet fully here. So we, already we have tasted of the age to come, but there is more to come than we are tasting at this moment. So we're born again, but we wait for the resurrection body. Now, secondly, that our experience of death completes our union with Christ. 
Paul says that we are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Again, Paul says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings becoming like him in his death. When a believer dies, the union with Christ is completed. That is why Psalm 116 says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That union with Christ at the moment of death is completed. Now the third thing is this, by the way of introduction, that obedience to God is more important than our own lives. Paul says this, I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He spoke to the Ephesian elders and said, I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may accomplish my course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus. Jesus said this, he said, whoever loves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now that is the verse which really spoke to me becoming a Christian. I knew that it was more than just um, asking Jesus to forgive me. I knew it was a surrender of my whole life. It was a matter of taking up the cross every day, which is the symbol of walking a crucified life. And the wonderful thing is that when I died to my own life and laid it down, it's at that moment that I actually found life and found that to follow Jesus is the most precious thing and the most wonderful thing. I recently read about um, James Chandlers, who was a British missionary in 1901, and he went to an island near New Guinea, and there he was, he was killed and boiled and eaten, him and his colleague that were working with him. And that's how it was for the early missionaries, and that's how it still is today, that we're called to lay our lives down. There was another famous missionary called John Hunt, who went to cannibal-infested island, and somebody said to him, weren't you afraid of, that you might die? And he looked at them and he said, my friend, he said, I died before I went. And that's the call to a Christian, whoever loves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So therefore, what happens when we die? Well, number one, for a believer, we go straight into the presence of God. Death is a temporary separation of the body from the soul or the spirit. And the physical body remains in the earth, but the soul or the spirit goes immediately into the presence of God. Paul says this, he would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He also says to depart and to be with Christ is far better. Now Jesus said to the thief on the cross, he said today, not sometime, no, today you will be with me in paradise. <clears throat> And David in Psalm 23, that very famous psalm, he says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell 
in the house of the Lord forever. So when a believer dies, they go immediately into the presence of God. But not only that, they also wait for a resurrection body. You see, Christ has redeemed us. And when he redeemed us, he redeemed the whole person, not just our soul or spirit. And this clearly includes the redemption of our body. Paul says this, we wait for the redemption of our bodies. And this is known theologically as glorification. A famous passage in Romans 8:17 says this, we will share in his glory. And again in Romans 8:30, those he called, he also justified, those he justified, he also glorified. And there will be a great day of victory at the second coming of Jesus Christ when the last enemy death has been destroyed. And then shall come to pass the saying, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your victory now? O grave, where is your sting? And the saying will be true that Christ has totally and uttered, conquered, defeated and conquered death. And those who are in Christ will reign with him and become alive with him, receive a resurrection body and reign with him forever and ever and ever. Glorification, the word glorification, you may have heard that by uh, theologians. It actually happens when Christ um, returns and he raises dead bodies of believers. Those who've already died are raised. Those who are still alive will be caught up with him in the air. And those who have died will be re reunited with their souls and they will then be given a resurrection body which is like the body of the Lord Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 15 tells us about the resurrection body. It says this, it is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown natural and it is raised in spiritual body and a powerful spiritual body. There will be no more suffering, there will be no more pain, there will be no more crying, and we will reign with him forever and ever and ever. This is the glorious hope. If all you hope for is this life, then you are a fool, because there is much more than this life. There is another life to live with Christ for all eternity. So the believer will die, they will immediately go into the presence of God and they await for their resurrection body which will happen when Jesus comes a second time. What about unbelievers then? Well, they also are raised, but they are raised only to face the judgment of Christ. Hebrews tells us this, 9.27, it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes the judgment of God. Jesus said in John 5:28, "A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned." 
And another famous passage from Paul in Romans 2, verse 5 to 8, he said, God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by their persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Now I know that you're going to do a whole other subject on the doctrine of hell, but I just want to say at this point that actually God does not send anybody to hell. The Bible makes it very clear that God actually hands people over when they die to their life's choice. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said there are only two sorts of people. There's firstly those who say to God, thy will be done. And the other sort of people, those to whom God says to them, thy will be done, your will be done. You must live with the consequences of your decision to live for your selfishness, just to live for yourself and to have nothing at all to do with me. Not to take any notice of my son, not to want my, my son, to love wickedness and darkness and evil and to hate the truth to hate Jesus and on that day Jesus will say to people like that I grant you your life's choice to have nothing to do with me depart from me I've never known you and the Bible tells us then there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and the definite article is used and it means this this will be the place of weeping this will be the place of gnashing of teeth but then sadly it will be too late Jesus said this to the scribes and Pharisees in John chapter 5 he said you search the scriptures diligently you study them you dig into them you search them diligently because you think in them you will find eternal life but they are the very scriptures which speak about me and he said, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You actually refuse, there's a refusal in you to want to have anything to do with me. He also said this, this is the verdict, the light has come into the world, but men love darkness and hated the light because their deeds were evil. It's people's own choice that they actually refuse to come that they actually love darkness and they hate the light. They want to have nothing to do with the light of the world. And God grants people their heart's desire. The Bible doesn't speak about purgatory. That's a Roman Catholic doctrine, but it finds no place in the New Testament scriptures. And Jesus very clearly says that there is no second chance. He tells us that in the story of um, Lazarus and Dives, the rich man and Lazarus rather, in Luke chapter 16. And we're told this, that between us and you, Abraham says, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that no one can pass from here over to the other side. There's a great chasm. It's not possible 
to cross this great chasm from one side to the other. There is no second chance. <clears throat> How, therefore, does that leave us? What does that mean for us today? Well, it means three things. And I come to a close with these three things. It means, number one, that we must be incredibly thankful that we're saved into the kingdom of God. God has saved us from sin and hell and death. And one day you'll receive a resurrection body and reign with him for all eternity. That would cause anyone's heart to rise up with praise and thanksgiving and adoration. We must be very thankful. Secondly, we must be very careful because we will have to give an account of ourselves to God of how we've used this life which he's given to us, this redeemed life. What we've actually done in the body. Have we just been selfish and lived for ourselves? Or have we laid our lives down to serve the purposes of Jesus? So we need to be very careful how we live. And then thirdly this, we need to be very watchful. We need to be watchful in our prayer and we need to be urgent in our evangelism. You see, the wonderful thing is, is that today is still the day of God's favour. It is still the day of God's grace. It is the time when we can rescue and pray for our neighbours and friends and family and colleagues, those who don't know Jesus. And the doctrine of hell in the Bible is there to motivate us to pray and to evangelise, not just to be complacent. And I want to just say to you today that if you know people who are unsaved, let's pray. Let's talk to them about the glorious gospel. Let's see them saved into the kingdom of God. It's been one of the privileges of during this lockdown period for us to pray with our friends and neighbours. And we've seen one of our neighbours um, turn from darkness to light and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his friend and saviour. I pray that we will see many, many more people turn and save. This world desperately needs it. Sussex needs that. Sydney needs that. The world needs that. It needs you and me to pray and urgently evangelise in this hour. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. I love you, the Sydney Church. Have a great day.